5: to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. You got
0: something to drink? Are you good?
1: Are you I don't ready? have any
5: alcohol, but I'll be fine.
1: Waiting no on no reparations. reparations.
5: Waiting no on reparations. You waiting no on reparations. Alright. Waiting no on reparations. Uh, 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 you see, I ought to be a prodigy, just like my parents thought I'd be. Instead of squandering my doctorate, partying heartily, lost in the cocks. I get looking like chocolate broccoli, panopic lock, and key film watching me constantly. Because I braided and in straightened, into finally in the great tent, I decided I was tired of homogenization. Yo, it's funny, though, it's ain't shit changed since. Look like Angie Davis, if be racist, but in fact me and her, we be sitting up on the stages, straight in places, like the activists getting up each other's faces to learn from the different ages across generations. Ah, yo, uh, yo, what you gotta yo. say, kid? Two
1: years ago, a friend of mine. Asked me to spit some podcast rhymes, so I said the rhymes I'm about to say. I don't know how it goes, but yo, I don't play. I just talk a lot of shit, weed and politics, so that I can drop some knowledge. Ain't receiving scholarship, rapping on my level. These MCs are not equipped. Hope that we can remember we ain't even got a script. Like fuck it, we'll do it live. How does the crew survive? President spewing lies, everything supersized. The cops choke you to death for some funny money. Can we please get over this 2020? This shit is fucking hey what's going on my name is dope knife i'm
5: lingua franca we are waiting Waiting on reparations. reparations hurry up hurry up how you doing this week mac
1: i'm good i'm good thank you for asking another week goes by and we get closer and closer to this election you know speaking of the election we have some things to announce about what we're doing next week but before we even get into that you i wanted to talk to you like um you had like a whole last conversation with Angela Davis. Yes.
5: Yeah, with with Dr. Angela Davis. Yeah, so like,
1: tell me about that. So like, we were
5: that? we were the keynote speakers for this virtual youth summit being put on by Speak Out, which is a nonprofit based, I think, in the Bay Area of California. And so they wanted to bring together activists across generations to talk about movement building, talk about the local as well as the international in terms of uh, organizing and solidarity abolishing the police, things like that. Um, and it was fun. I mean, she, she's a very gracious and kind person, very sweet. I loved and will always remember, I think, the end of the conversation when I asked her, like, if I was your younger self, what would you tell me? And she was like, I wouldn't tell you shit. Because <laughs> like the, the failures and mistakes along your journey are going to teach you so much. And, like, I don't pretend, even though I'm an elder in this movement, to know more than you about, yeah. like, how this is all supposed to go. So it was, like, really humbling. And, like, I just have a lot of gratitude for that conversation with her. And I got the rapper and she liked it. She was sure. like, where can I find your music? And I was like, I'm going to die now. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. But, yeah, you can find it on YouTube if you search Angela Davis, Mariah Parker. But... Um,
1: I'm sure it won't be the last time that you guys... Yeah, surely our
5: cl- uh, pass will cross again. Although, you know, it's really funny. The night before that, we had a protest downtown that was like a caravan slash march. And so um, we took to the streets, you know, marching in the streets. I was in my car and um, I got pulled over and it was really twice, actually. I got pulled over by the cops twice and uh, I was very stressed out and... Uh, I was very shaken by it And so I ended up going out And just getting really drunk The night before And then I woke up so hungover The day of my talk with Angela Davidson I was like, I can't believe I have put into peril the most important day of my life. (laughs) But it feels like that when you're shell-shocked from, like, interactions with the cops. I not
1: from what I saw on YouTube, it didn't look like you were hungover. No,
5: I had it together (laughs) by the time the talk started, but I definitely woke up like, please, not today. Yeah, (laughs) Can we reschedule? Well, speaking
1: of Angela Davis, um, not too long ago I was reading something about her views about the upcoming election and how she was just pointing out what you would hope would be the obvious which is like hey you know Trump's a fascist and while Joe Biden is not our first choice you must do what's necessary to save the free world and um yesterday there was a little scuffle in an interview with uh Noam Chomsky with uh Virgil Texas and Brianna Joy Gray for their podcast and um you know, he was he was going in about the it was a lesser of two evils debate about voting. What, what are your thoughts on that whole thing about the necessity of voting for Biden or not even the necessity of voting for Biden to vote against Trump? Or... I, I mean,
5: I, I'm one of those people in my personal politics. I feel that our right to vote is so sacred that people should be able to use it however they want. If people don't want to vote. Um, They have that sovereignty If people want to vote green That's fine I'm not out here talking about Who people should vote for Um, Or not really I mean like I I might You know like Rally people around Voting Democrats Because I do agree We need to get rid of Trump But I'm I'm not a vote shamer And I feel like A lot of people Confuse vote shaming For activism Like look at me I'm like drumming up support for my guy and it's like you're just making people really pissed off and hate you and I think that's where so much of this vitriol coming from like I think like the the woke scold left it it comes from because it's like it's not even just the mere principle of it it's in reaction to like the vitriol that has pushed us away from believing in the Democratic Party
1: I think this is where I may make my little long awaited heel turn but like, I don't First of all, I don't think that Especially with something like voting I don't think you can be shamed If you think or know you're right Like, so somebody can say whatever the fuck they want You know, about your vote But if you know that your shit was right And you know the reasons why you did it I don't see a reason why somebody Anything that somebody could say would make you be like Second guess Or have any sort of feelings about your vote But that's a whole nother point I just don't think that it's necessarily stopping anybody or telling anybody what to do by having, like, a discussion about how people are going to vote. I don't know, unless unless someone just doesn't want to have that discussion altogether and it's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about who I'm voting for or something like that. Then, all right, then I understand. But if we're talking about it and someone's like, oh, I think that. I'm going to vote X, and I think that other people should vote X. And then you're like, no, I'm going to vote this way, and other people should vote that way. I don't, I don't really see that as anybody like jumping on anyone or telling anybody what. Do you to
5: have do. a Twitter?
1: Huh?
5: Do you have a Twitter? Yeah. Oh no, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, Nigga, know, what? I, I see it. I see Nigga, it. Nigga, what? <laughs> I don't
1: know. I, just, I don't know. It's just the whole thing is. I'm not dismissive of the point of view of somebody who is like. Yo, I am a leftist leftist, and Joe Biden doesn't represent me. So I don't wanna, you know what I mean? I don't I don't wanna vote for Joe Biden. If somebody feels that way, then that's cool. But I think, you know, especially in that interview, there was a dismissive nature that everybody had. <laughs> Everybody's point of no, view. No Johnson's
5: probably sick of this shit because he's like <laughs> fucking 90 billion years old. Yeah.
1: I did like And then the,
5: just everybody is just mad at each other because everything sucks. I did
1: like the point that he said about, you know, it's like, yo, do you think that in the next 20 years that we're going to have
5: a overthrow revolution? Overthrow
1: capitalism? capitalism? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, nah, it's not going to happen. So it's just as a matter of like, you know, reality, you got to do what you got to do. You know, it's not pretty all the time.
5: And then I read another quote of his and I don't remember where it was, but um, he talks about how every there's like a quadrennial extravaganza that we look up from our activism to go participate in for 10 to 15 minutes. When we go cast our ballot, we put our heads back down and put our nose back on the grindstone and continue with activism. Activism is always the point. So it's like, you know, who does it? I don't even want to say who does it hurt because it hurts millions of Iraqis that get murdered when we drop bombs on them. But, um, like, you just get up, just go vote. I mean, you know, just go vote and then just get back to it. Just go vote and get back to it.
1: The thing that I don't understand we're is We're getting like, too
5: caught up in a presidential election. when a, pres- a presidential election is effectively just a blip on an activist radar because we're going to have work to do no matter who.
1: Yeah, and but here's the thing. It's with that exact sort of like... Philosophy behind it. It's like we're gonna have work to do, no matter who it is. But I just don't understand how the further left you could be that you could see any hope of like doing anything with the Republicans going so far right. You know, I just I just don't get it personally. If it was like a thing where, trust me, I know the the, the Democrats are way more right. Than anybody like us wants them to be. But the Republicans are like going for some other, other shit with, with how far they're leaning, how far right they're leaning. So it's like with them trying to manipulate the courts and all that sort of stuff, I just don't see how, you know, anyone who's left of that can be like, oh, you know, another four years of that, will be I fine. Think, I think we'll I interpret the
5: Chomsky quote to mean that, like, we look up from our activism. Once every four years, we think about who is marginally better. Just go and then spend an hour to like click a thing to maybe, you know, influence that person becoming an office. And then we get back to it. Stop making such a big deal out of it because it's like the smallest part of our civic yeah, engagement. Yeah, no, true.
1: The that's, that's true. The marching and Flo. the
5: postcards and the rallies and the mutual aid. And the, you know, electing candidates down ballot and the lobbying, all that shit is what should consume 95% of our attention and not, like, who is the president.
1: God, there's so many more points I want to get to this. Well, you know what? As a matter of fact, we are, you know, with the election getting so close, we're going to have this big extravaganza <laughs> voting episode Yeah, next I'm going to have a big voting gonna-
5: episode, I think also in preparation for the mass civil unrest that mm likely awaits us on November 4th we're also going to have an episode about guns
1: and self-protection
5: self-protection um,
1: but yeah so um, but this
5: week we're kind of talking about we're continuing our spitting images series mm-hmm. talking to Paperboy Prince a former congressional candidate for Congress and I believe the 14th District in New York That's and well I and there. I think that this dovetails with our conversation about voting because more these days I more often than not will tell people rather than tell people to go out and vote I just tell people to run because, like, if we don't get a better quality of policy represented on the platforms of folks that we have to choose from, nothing's going to get any better. We cannot trust the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, any of these parties to, like, j- like just churn out Pete Buttigiegs and, like, everything's going to be fine. We have to step up and create and give that hope to people who feel the solution with this system. So Paperboy Prince did it. I did it. We're going to talk to a lot of other... Uh, Rappers and activists in coming episodes in this series who have put their names in the hat. But this week, we're talking to Paperboy Prince. But all right, let's kick it off. So today, we're speaking with Paperboy Prince, an artist, activist, and recent candidate for Congress who earlier this year... Hope to unseat Representative Nidia Velasquez, a 14-term incumbent who has represented New York's 7th Congressional District, parts of Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan since 1993. So, Paperboy, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Paperboy Prince?
2: Well, first off, I'll start by saying, <laughs> paper, yeah! <laughs> it's our time! Yes! One love. It's Paperboy Prince, Paperboy Love Prince, Paperboy Prince of the Suburbs. Thank you all so much for having me. have ah, paper, yeah! It's our time! You know, my slogan is, it's our time, because it's our time to make a change. It's our time to stand up for what's right. It's our time to get what we deserve. It's our time to spread love, you know? It's our time to speak out. It's our time to live our dreams. It's our time collectively, the community, because just one of us succeeding isn't really progress. Just one of us making it isn't really uh, doing something, right? It's great, but it's not doing something. But when all of us do, when all of my friends, when all of my family, when we make it together, that's truly, progress and it is time for that. My parents uh, both met at Howard University in college. (laughs) My dad was running for class president, I believe, at Howard. And he was campaigning on the bus, on like the school bus. And um, my mom was on that bus. And that's where they met. That's actually how they met.
5: So you literally have politics in your, like, origin story.
2: Yeah. And you know what? I never thought about that. I know that that's how they met, but I never have said that my whole time running <laughs> until now. For some reason, it felt right to say now. And, um, yeah, I'm like, wow. So that that's how they met. And they don't talk much about that, but I need to ask them more. I have a vision of what it was like in my head, but, like...
1: So were you born in D.C.?
2: I was, I was born in DC and you know, my parents uh, were still in college there. And uh, my mom's from New York, my dad's from Texas and they went to school in DC. So there's there's that connection there. So I spent a lot of time living in DC and Baltimore, a lot of time living in New York. Um, Also like um, lived in Spain for a while, like uh, working and studying abroad. So all of this stuff for me, you know, um, about myself, I'm also an artist. Uh, I went to school for uh, broadcast journalism and uh, computer science, and uh, and I took a bunch of other like courses and did a bunch of other like stuff outside of the school stuff that really informed what I do now. And I started rapping, you know, um, in to make fun of rap and music because I just really was you know I grew up like in a thing where the focus wasn't art wasn't a real tangible thing art wasn't an actual career art the arts weren't uh, something that are considered respectable even in and like kind of like the area I grew up in yeah we listened to it but it wasn't like in something that you should seriously aspire to be so I actually started making music to make fun of it like even like the song that you we all were talking about before we started and some of my song like that during that period and even before that I was doing songs kind of making fun of it even my rap name you know which is now my real name every <laughs> boy <Louis laughs> prince of the suburbs was supposed to be like a joke on like T.I., King of the South or something like that. No, nothing against T.I. You know, it's supposed to be like a parody. So that was that. And then, you know, after a while, um, I started really getting into the music as far as it just became a really good outlet and release. And I became aware of how important arts are um, in so many ways. So I walked away from like the corporate type side. You know, I worked for like NBC and MSNBC, all these things. I walked away from that to, like, dive more into the art and the music. And then now I'm, you know, kind of walking back to it in a way to try to merge, uh, to try to use the artistic side to help people actually, um, you know, get activated for different reasons, causes, and all that.
5: So what changed for you? What shifted in your mind between that period in which you kind of made joke rap it sounds like you're describing to like taking your talent and taking your artistry seriously
2: um you know i think and i still do make joke rap like one of my biggest songs right now is popeye's chicken sandwich which like a lot of people know which is a song about it's a joke it's a song about popeye's chicken sandwich um
1: but there's an art to that too, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a whole, like, joke rap is a whole subgenre in itself. So. Exactly,
2: exactly why I never even stopped it because it's like, Yo, yeah, I've been doing it so long, no reason to stop it. But um, I, I started taking it seriously. I started taking the jokes seriously, mm. if you follow me, once um, I started seeing, like, the internet like they're actually being like oh a path to success or I started mm-hmm. like actually watching because I wasn't even you know I grew up in like a Christian home so I wasn't even allowed to like listen to rap which is also okay. why I was making fun of it and stuff and so then I actually had to follow people's careers I saw people that I just was like around like making it um, like for example like Logic some of my people who I knew were like producing for him and stuff like that and it was just like wait like very quickly, and we were all rapping, just freestyle and having fun. We very quickly, took off and, and stuff. And I was like, it, "That just seemed impossible to me." And then seeing somebody who just was like around with the, and he wasn't like my best bud or anything, but it was like in the people around that we like wrapped around. It was like a person, and you know, so other factors contributed to that. But to me, seeing that, it's just possible. It's the exposure of. You don't see that, that there's so many ways in arts and entertainment for people to have, you know, different type of careers and these things. I, I never saw that. So, yeah. Um, and exposure is a big issue like in our community, being like the black community and then as well as just for young people in general. We're just exposed to so few things. So like exposure opens your mind and how you can even structure your life and career.
5: Oh, absolutely. I like did poetry and spoken word and stuff when I was younger. But it wasn't until moving to like a music town where I was like, people can just like make music and like play it for people. I like started rapping. I was like, I guess there's like venues and shows happening. I like threw myself in the mix. So I feel that having that like uh, model, something to like, yeah, emulate or realize, oh, this is a thing you can do. Is important.
2: Exactly.
1: So what sparked the transition for you to decide to run for Congress?
2: My family was always like very politically activated and, um, you know, always having conversations around politics and not just electoral politics, but, um, you know, just the politics of life in general, the American politics and uh Everything that has dealt with our history, this is already in the normal conversation of my home, right? And then um, when I was like maybe 11 or 12, I got an internship. My, no, my mom won like a raffle at our school. She was like on the PTA and she won a raffle that I think she helped to set up that allowed me to have like lunch with my congressman or with members of Congress. And so I we did it and I was at a kid, I didn't care. Like I think I might have gotten like off of school that day or something. Or maybe it was even the summertime so I didn't even get off school. So I was like not really into it. But mom was like, Oh, this is such a good thing and then, you know, I'm so young that where I'm just learning even about the government. So I don't even know what a congressman is or like mm. So, but we got to go to the House of Representatives and I got to have lunch with some people in Congress and they're showing me like offices and like smiling and looking important and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. And from there, I still wasn't interested, but it was something that I was exposed to. So I just, it was one of the 10 things that I was exposed to as a kid. That, basketball, you know what I mean? Some music, some like church, like only a couple things I was exposed to. The internet so um yeah i from that i there were like different programs that they had for like youth but like sometimes in the summer it would be like some youth program like model mock congress thing where we would go and actually sit in there and like do some like you know mock congressional hearings or we would read different papers and stuff like this and yeah so from there i was doing those i had like an internship at for a co- some Congress uh, members, and then uh, end up interning at the Supreme Court. So I was doing all this young, and this is why I still was like young and trying to figure like before I even got to college, right? So, like figuring out what my career would be or what interest would be, I was just kind of doing what my parents said. It's like, oh, this is good for you. This will help you do XYZ. Well, I had this background in learning about politics young and then electoral politics, that is, as well as all of this activist politics. And then it transitioned to, into me, you know, working as an artist and moving away from all of this stuff. The politics pushed me into journalism, which pushed me into being an artist and away from journalism and politics. And then now um, I finally have found a way to kind of like merge all of those things and, and and get a message across, and bring in new people, and not regurgitate the same message that someone maybe from my background would have had. Um, but actually, be able to like add new things into the conversation and new perspectives, and be able to speak for like uh, a wider range of folks.
5: What were some of your early activist experiences that you were referencing a little bit earlier?
2: So, um. I definitely was at, like, some protests and march with my dad. I don't remember the exact one, so I don't want to say I'm wrong, but, you know, we were living in D.C. and there were, like, marches on Washington, this type of stuff. Yeah. So, but I was too young. I can't really say that I was, like, I was out there fighting the power. You know what I'm saying?
5: Well, I mean, it's those formative experiences to, like, influence what options you see as available to you. Right, right. And so to like march, even if you don't know what you're marching for, but you know that people march. Like I just read about marching in like textbooks in school. I didn't like get out here in the streets until I was like an adult. I didn't realize that was a thing people still did. Right.
2: Yeah. You know, living in in DC was interesting because there's protests there every day, and there are like you know we. Could, uh, all right. Fine. I'll just take you guys down the conspiracy route. Uh, Section sure. out um basically you know there are like literal paid protesters um because there's people even before Trump was in office there's the, the the you know white house is there and the white house is actually a very it's not that big like anytime i see the white house i'm like this is it like, yeah. <laughs> like this is like but so there's always people protesting there for something every day for some cause and um, so I saw a lot of that. And then in college, you know, in my school, I went to University of Maryland College Park. And there was like in my freshman year, actually, like the first week or something, somebody put a noose on the tree. like Oh, hell no. Next to our like cultural center, the Nimuru okay. Cultural Center, which is like has like a Swahili name. And it's like you know, uh, basically the center for, like, a lot of, like, Black and Indigenous, like, uh, activities. There was just a noose there. And, you know, college is supposed to be seen as, like, a very progressive, and this campus uh, poses a very, like, progressive, like, liberal, I'm saying quotations, um, area. And at that time, I was too, I'd had too little experiences to even contextualize. But, yeah, like... My school was mad racist in <laughs> so many ways. I never knew I was a uh minority, as they use. And I don't like to use the term minority, but um because we aren't a minority, we are a ma-
5: We are the majority in the world. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like literally, but um you know, I never got the concept of a minority and of like what it meant to be black in America until going to college and my college was in the uh richest black the richest african-american county in america pg okay. prince george's county yeah. yeah oh you know about pg county
5: yeah i work with a lady who who grew up in pg county
2: oh nice uh, okay yes yeah. so she's, she's singing the phrases huh
0: the big take from bloomberg news brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world western nations like the u.s and europe
6: But
2: that opened my eyes and I got to see, you know, how the system works, how the power structure, white supremacy, all of these things. And I got to see even our university, um, which was built off the backs of black people, um, built on the backs of slaves, enslaved people. Um, The land that has been taken away from free black people, to even uphold this university. And, and the, the, the reason I'm going this is because so many universities on the whole East Coast and South have the same story, right, that I'm saying.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. A- except for maybe the caveat of, like, being in a, like, an affluent Black town. But, uh, yeah, so but from that, I just had always grew up in Black areas, even diverse Black areas, and I am like, uh, learning that. And then from there, you know, we, like... Uh, organized a bunch of protests on campus for different issues um, and, you know, did a lot of political education as far as, you know, I was a part of different groups that basically every week we were leading education sessions as well as, um, you know, learning from others and leaders in different uh, facets of, like, activism and, 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 you know, the movement. And so this was, like, always in the background to me, but I never thought I would step out there in the forefront of it, or try to like help to be a, a, a core organizer or leader in any of these ways, because it just didn't seem. I just didn't know how I could make it appealing for myself. Because at, at the end of the day, even when you're trying to do stuff for the people, it has to be something in you that excites you about it that that makes it right. worth it to you, or you're not going to do it. So for me, it was, but now I kind <laughs> of get it. I get. I kind of see how. You know i also always like to throw parties and events i threw a bunch of parties and events and shows and concerts and all these things but now i get it it's like oh throwing a show and a party is like throwing a protest and if i also
5: yes.
2: you know what i mean it's all yeah. it's so many of the skills are connected and build upon each other so it's like when i kind of got that it even gave me more confidence to be like
5: yeah so i mean you talked a little about about some early activist experience of yours I'm glad you touched on the way that like hip hop promotion and like shows and parties and things like that are like organizing in a certain sense and like you learn a lot of skills there but I'd be interested to talk some about your platform very bold progressive platform of universal healthcare universal basic income spreading love so can you tell us how you came to this platform right um
2: Ubi, I have a, I have a song for that. It's called All We Want Is That Ubi. I got hope all in my eyes. So for the people while you want to switch sides, gonna get something that can change your life. For like Yang ain't left, ain't right. Help everybody, gotta share that pie. All we want is that Ubi. Yeah, <laughs> I, like,
5: real, I ain't never gonna lie.
2: So that's my song Ubi, and yeah.
5: um, did, did did Andrew Yang ever hit you up about that?
2: We'll talk about that.
5: Okay, cool. Let's come
2: back to that. I've done a bunch of events with Andrew Yang. I've, I talked to his, like, manager all the time and he's had me perform at his rallies and That's what's up. tweeted out my songs. He's shotted me out in interviews. Um, he's, he's, like retweeted my campaign video and, and, um, so he's actually been like a big friend in helping to get, you know, helping to spur energy behind my campaign. But, um, so UBI, then I have spreading love. I'm spreading love to the community. I'm on a block. I'm spreading unity. I'm being positive. What they gonna do to me? Waving a stick. This isn't new to me. I'm in the trap. I'm spreading hey. love. I'm in the hood. I'm giving out hugs. I want your girl. She wants some love. They need some more. This ain't enough. And my platform actually, you always gotta you know listen to your gut because my platform actually was even much more robust than that. I. Originally, when I first announced, I had over, like, 84 issues that I pledged to fighting for, and among them being, like, reparations uh, for slavery, uh, among them being um, abolishing the police. Um, And these were things that, like, I even took off, right? Once I got, like, a... Had, like, a white manager that was working with me, and, you know, his... And I'm not blaming him because it was ultimately my decision, but you know, we boiled it down. I'm, I'm saying this so people can like kind of understand where some of the like framing of the platforms even come from and why like, it's like even cookie cutter like this, even though you described it as progressive, I'm even just critiquing it myself and yeah. how I feel about it. When I started the campaign, I had like abolishing the police was at the top of it. Cause I was like, no, you don't understand. This is and you don't get it because of this and that. And like, they're like, no, like my friend is like, no, no one's gonna vote for you if you say abolish the police. <laughs> said, no, no, no. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're gonna get into trouble. You're, you're gonna cause more, you, you wanna win this, right? All right. <laughs> so we, we take off, it's 84 and they're all on my website. They were all on my website. And we take off 80 of them and leave the, the three or four that's there because it's like, you know, these are gonna be the main things that you're fighting for in XYZ, which I did agree with to keep it simple for people. Uh, but, you know, I, now it's like everybody talking about abolishing the police, everybody talking about defunding the police. And I was like, I was talking about that in December, 2019, like on the platform, not, not that saying that was the first time I had mentioned it. I'm saying that was like on my platform. Now it's like people are, so, um, it's just like, wow. Like, you know, sometimes things might seem far out, progressive, futuristic, but You don't even know how ready people are for it, how soon people are ready for it. Another classic example of that, Universal Basic Income. I was talking about Universal Basic Income, some of these songs that I'm singing. One of the songs I did was uh, for Yang, the first song I ever did about Yang's platform. You asked me about that, you know. When I first heard of him, it was early 2019. It might even have been 2018 and he talked about basic income giving a thousand dollars a month to everyone and I saw it like it was almost one of those like articles that you see at the end of one of those other articles that looks like a spam ad <laughs> I was like somebody running for president talking talk about so I click it and I'm like basic income and I'm reading up on it and I'm like wow that's dope and this is why you know the new election is about to start uh, and people are talking about Bernie right and, and I supported uh-huh. Bernie in 2016 and uh, and then I was like, wait, but this... It feels like we need more now. Like, right now, it feels like we need more. Yeah. And I was like, basic income. And then I had studied Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King, with the uh, Poor People's Campaign, you know, yeah. one of the things that he was fighting for before he was killed, one of the reasons that he was killed is not because he was talking about, uh, I have a dream for Black people and white people to get ice cream. No, it was... Him talking about the you know economic revolution and a guaranteed yeah. income. You know these are in yeah. his last speeches. Everyone, he's named he's ta- he's dropping a guaranteed income and how important it is. And this is in the '60s, <laughs> so the idea isn't that progressive. This is, you know Martin Luther King talking about it back then, and um, you know um, I knew about that, and I always wondered why no one ever talked about that for Martin Luther uh-huh. King's platform. But it was like. Still, no one ever talks about it. And then so from Yang, I was like, this is a way to even boost Martin Luther King's message. So I did the um Yang Gang song and I I, which I I dropped it and then like fifteen minutes later he tweeted it out. And then like (laughs) after that I did another song called Gotta Do the Math, which was about doing the math of why um universal basic income was important and it had a dance with it, you know. Um, it's like, you gotta do the math Hey, you gotta do the math Hey, you gotta do the math Calculator in the bag I'm a splish, I'm a splash Yang gang, get the bag And you gotta do the M-A-T-H 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 So that's basically the, the hook In the verse, it's like Thousand dollars in your pocket Everybody bought to got it For the kids like Polly Pocket This easy like Autopilot Yang gang, we never stop and do the math solve a problem All our daddies, all our mamas Pizza hot, it's in the sauna fighting for uh, actual policies um, that I feel like are going to help people, you know, and uh, that are pushing the narrative, that are changing the way do people do things. I put sp- Spreading Love on my platform. People thought it was a joke. You know, now it's like, now, again, when June came around and there were riots in the streets, they were like, We need people to spread love. We need this and that. And I'm like, no, you didn't want to listen before when we were talking about it, you know? And you didn't take it seriously. You didn't take... And spreading love, that manifests itself as uh, actual community spaces for people to use um, on every block, hopefully, in America.
1: How difficult was the campaign for you? Like, did you experience pushback?
2: I did. I experienced a lot of pushback. And, you know, like... I think I got a lot of support because I was already doing a lot of political work um, in a in a unique way, like in my community. Um, one of the ways being like the songs that I was doing, like some of them that I just mentioned now, that were just trying to. No, so many people had like, yo, I never heard of universal basic income before your song. I, so many people. Some people were like, yo, I would never heard of. Andrew Yang before your song I wasn't even thinking about voting before that um, we were doing voter registration efforts at my shows again now yeah. it's right before the election so like people are a lot more people are doing these type of things but I was doing that like you know two years ago at all of my rap shows it would be like yo register to vote we're and yo if you register to vote tell you what I'm I'll buy your free drink too you know what I'm saying it's for certain people I'm like okay maybe only nine people registered to vote this time but three, four times on the line. Now we got 50, 70, 200 people registered to vote. And we're talking about communities with Black, uh, Latino people, young people, usually not even inside of this process. Yeah, so that, um, I I also was a part of this uh, protest at the beginning of Trump's inauguration called uh, He Will Not Divide Us, which was in New York. It was big, Shia LaBeouf kind of kicked it off.
1: Oh, I know about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, like Shia LaBeouf and Jaden Smith kicked it off. And I was kind of like one of the main uh, characters, if you will, in this. And I received like a ton of death threats from like- uh, Yeah, all right, You know, exactly, like white supremacists, 4chan, all of these things. Yeah. Tried to hack yeah. all of my accounts and all, all of yeah. this. So, so yeah, like, these things happen, and, you know, you just learn how to deal with them.
5: I, I've said for a long time, it's kind of a barometer of, like, how much you're shaking the table. Like, if you are getting death threats, you ain't even doing this work hard enough.
2: No, definitely. So. Definitely.
5: We talked a little about UBI. I want to talk about paperboy care. So I think it's interesting that it preserves private insurance and allows people to remain uninsured if they so choose, but it does guarantee healthcare to every person. Is that that's correct? Yes.
2: For me, you know, um, healthcare is one of the most important things, and we're only as healthy as our sickest person. Right. And I think coronavirus helped to expose that as a truth. It's like, how can you not want access to health care for all if we're living in a world where viruses exist, where if one person gets something, then you can potentially get it as well, no matter the level of your healthcare, or even if you're good and your healthcare is so good that you're going to be safe the masses being sick can affect your everyday life. Again, look at coronavirus. Because of so many people being sick and dying, now the way that we do life, the way that we do business, school, everything has been um, interrupted and, and changed because of that. So, so for me, like, you know, health care is super important. And, and, you know, right now, you know, we don't have an actual health care system in this country. We have a, you know, sick care. System, we wait until you're actually mm-hmm. sick or ha- you have a disease. We wait until we've allowed you to, you know, create these habits for yourself um, that are killing you, and then we want to treat you for that uh, because that is the best way for capitalism to make money off of mm-hmm. people instead of, you know, instilling healthy habits in us as uh, children and then fostering those making it easier for us to live healthy lifestyles you know what i mean so so this is kind of the idea of paperboy care it's not just even physical body care it also combines and this is with spreading love this is also with basic income as well it it combines you know raising the collective consciousness of people and actually you know living and thinking on a higher plane right but to do that like a lot of your basic needs need to be met and just a basic level of just like uh like safety
5: yeah your basic need security
1: it's interesting that it preserves private insurance which is you know different from most of the medicare for all plans that are out there so why did you decide to go that route
2: Well, you know, from my talks with um, a lot of community members um, in my community, many of them felt it being the government infringing on their uh, rights, taking away their right to their own private insurer. This is what certain people who... Now, me... So you're being
5: responsive to the community. Now that makes sense. For me, being
2: a a, a healthy, a a generally healthy person, thank God, um, you know, I haven't had to interact with the healthcare system to where I'm paying in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars into it. Whereas other people I've talked to who, you know, see their physicians more regularly are like, uh, or have different conditions or like, you know, I want to still be able to have that option. And the way that some people broke broken down to me is this, now, I will say that I see the issues of people saying that by there even being a private uh, health insurance industry existing, their very, um, like, existence will, like, influence and change the, um, like, effects on public health care. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, I definitely, like, recognize that. And I think that that's something to, like, be dealt with moving forward. Um... But the, the flip side of that is people say, you know, there's a public school system where everyone has access to uh, equal, equal, I say in parentheses, um, quotation, uh, like equal education. So there could also be, and then there's also private school where if you want to pay extra, if you want to pay $100,000 for your kids to go to middle school, you can do that. Um, so they're saying, hey, if I want to be able to do this for my health care, can I do that as well? For me, it was me saying, hey, if this is something that is really important to you, then I feel like in the first steps to us building a strong public health care system that, yes, we can still find ways to preserve your private health care if that's what the people really want. But again, if that's not what the people want, then, then I'm 100% down to move away from that as well. So,
5: I love your re- responsivity to like what you're hearing on the ground. That's really dope.
1: so i had a question what um i know how you were saying earlier that the whole concept of like throwing a party or throwing an event kind of helped with uh you know how you approach activism and, and stuff so what skill do you think you've either picked up or developed being a performer and an MC that has come in useful the most, like while you're running or in your political pursuits?
2: I would say, like, one of the main things is uh, promotion. Like, you know, like from being, I hate being a promoter, I really hated like promoting rap shows and promoting parties and albums. I like making the stuff. I like doing the party like doing the show. I don't like promoting it. I don't like texting a hundred people and telling them to do this. I don't like passing out flyers and da da da. But like that came in handy because all of the times that I had to like, I passed out 5,000 flyers from like a sponsor that like sponsored my mixtape or whatever, or like I was passing out flyers just for, to promote my own shows. That came in handy when I had to petition to get on the ballot for Congress. I was already, you know, used to putting myself out there in this type of way, and like, you know, uh, just hitting the ground running and just really depending on my own grind. And and yes, we had like volunteers and we grew our volunteer base, but like even starting out, you know, a lot of it was like just me, or, or me or one other person. And you know, if I was and they were feeding off my energy, so if I was. Not vibing if I wasn't, you know, moving, then it wouldn't do much. So I would say that, and um, me also being a host as well, because like I'm a rapper, but a lot of the times I was like a, you know, I told you I did uh, broadcast journalism in school, so I was like hosting shows and events and these things, you know? So like that skill of kind of just being able to, um, yeah, hold it down whenever, yeah, you know, and motivate the people. And I've kind of always used my rapping as more of like, you know, I can't. My parents are pastors, so mm. I use my rapping as kind of like it is very like preachy and churchy in its own way. Uh, and so, but that is probably the strongest skill because I just feel super. I know how to. I feel like I know how to for example, right, in June, we threw, and the election was June 23rd. In June, the beginning of June, it was a lot of the George Floyd protests and all these things were taking off. We led, you know, me, myself, and uh, some of my collaborators, we led a lot of protests, shut down bridges here, you know, had the cops, basically, like, anywhere I posted, you know what I mean, 20 NYPD officers showing up, 20 NYPD squad cars. And, um, I would be hosting these rallies and protests. And at first I was like, okay, we're doing a protest. What are we gonna do? And what am I gonna say? What I'm gonna and like from my background in being a host and in church, I learned how to just I'll be speaking in front of the people and I look at my watch and it's like, oh wow, hour and a half just went by. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's no pen, no pad, no Google notes is just all from the um knowing how to harness the fire that's inside of me, the collective energy that's there, and then just you know keeping that going.
1: It's freestyling. <laughs>
2: you know what? That's the number one skill, actually.
1: Yeah, that's that's I was I was gonna chime in with that's my number one skill. It's like knowing how to freestyle, you can if you really know what the skill is you can kind of apply it to mad shit, you know? It comes in really handy.
5: What's next for you now that the campaign is done?
2: More music. I actually am just, like, getting a text now from some, like, some artists, some, like, uh, you know, more, like, industry artists that I'm, like, collaborating with to get, like, some bigger uh, tracks out there. So I'm excited about that because the politics took a lot away from my music as I wasn't able to. One, a lot of my content, my musical content, I put into, like... The political stuff and I didn't get to uh I was just so busy doing paperwork and meetings that I didn't have time to uh record and as much as I like to I also just opened a gallery uh an art gallery uh, in Brooklyn so black owned you know what I'm saying and uh That's so called the paperboyprints.com love gallery which is gonna be like super dope we're gonna have clothes um that are art as well as uh you know paintings and um, different types of experiences i'm also running again oh shit. yeah so so i'm so my goal is to like help change the system like not just get myself elected but also change the system or highlight the issues with the system so the people are well informed and they can decide what we want to do and how are we going to change it um so running in 2021 for i haven't officially announced but I'll, I'll say it here um i'm running in 2021 for city council in uh brooklyn and queens no. yeah the the voting public is a lot more educated on what i'm about what i stand for my work than they were. A year ago. Yeah. So, like, that's
5: going to, it's going to be exciting.
1: It's all about building on it, you know, build on what you did before.
5: Exactly. So that. Where can people find more info about you and get involved in your campaigns? Paperboyprints.com. Paperboyprints.com.
2: And if you're ever visiting New York and all of the uh, tourist attractions are down and you want to come to a new Black-owned tourist attraction, you can come to the paperboyprints.com love gallery where you can see some art you may be able to even meet me and you'll be in a great community space um you can also donate to the work we're doing at paperboyprints.com and click donate um or you can just hit me up directly on my paper phone that's 727-379-2327 and yeah at paperboytheprints on instagram i'm like most active on instagram but i'm on Twitter and um, the other stuff too. I'm on
5: YouTube and everything too. So
1: no doubt, right. it was good shit. Well, thank you for hanging out and, with us today. Um, I guess it's about that time, ain't it? Yo, can we get a beat? Ooh. Hey, hey, hey! Uh huh, uh huh. Go, go, go! waiting on reparations that moment when you black and nobody give a fuck, you depressed. Scared of cops because you fear they could be rushing you next. You want some new threads, but you feel busting a sweat. Instead of going out, you'd rather play some Russian roulette. It's like I'm Biggie in that song but I ain't talking a puff. And I can't let them see me wrong because I'm strong and I'm tough. But yo, I'm really in a fog and yo, I call it a bluff. But you're not turn the feelings off because I'm closeted much. It's all just a rush and I'm tense but it gets better. Fast food, something hard to release. My blood pressure had enough stressors. Look, I've been making beats. I ain't shaved in weeks. Now my whole face is a rough texture i don't do this rap shit just for dumb pleasure any way any means what's the next measure yo yo and it gets fresher uh uh Check it out, yeah.
5: Flying in from outer space like the death of the dinosaurs with rhymes that'll disconnect every bone from spinal cord like disconnected That's what the head about to the kind of sword. Find it on the floor, freshly separate with my katana sword. When I'm fighting war, the final word is my kind of sword. But not just any type of word, I'm a sword. You can search entire worlds, never find a girl, will find a form, never find a character. So I'm low off off because my style too sick, like chicken noodle soup sick. Calling home to mama, hey mama, I got the flu sick. Not sure if you're dreaming lucid or having a shroom trip. Feverishly ill, like a lucian and too thin.
1: Bars.
5: Bars. I'm Lingo Franca.
1: I'm Dope Knife. And we, we are, are Waiting, waiting on reparations. reparations. See you next week. Vote early if you can. And we love you all. Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio.
5: Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.